Good to be with you again as we look at the turning point of Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of Luke. We've already observed in Luke 9 that there are two key events which seem to precipitate Jesus resolutely heading for Jerusalem. So we observed first the declaration that Jesus is indeed God's Messiah, and then the transfiguration demonstrating Jesus' heavenly identity, his authentication as God's son and the reaffirmation of his mission. So despite apparently never-ending human need and a, a team of disciples that are still far from mature, Jesus commits his path to Jerusalem. Now, turning points by nature reveal new priorities. And so Jesus' priority is now the Exodus salvation event that must be won in Jerusalem. And so Luke records in verse 51, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So from here on, until Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem in Luke 19, Jesus is on the road. He's teaching and preaching as he travels on the way. The events that are described in Luke form a kind of travelogue. Uh, with a theme centered around discipleship, learning Jesus, his ways, his mission. It's a school of discipleship on the road. We also notice that although the crowds follow along, Jesus increasingly addresses individuals. And we see this immediately when we pick up Luke chapter 9 from where we left off yesterday. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So here's a collection of three interactions with individuals, each one is tested at the point of their readiness and their suitability to be Jesus' disciple. Through these interactions, we learn what Jesus thinks being his disciple is all about. And through these in three interactions, we, we learn about our own discipleship and attitudes. So the first guy meets Jesus and he seems to be full of enthusiasm. He doesn't wait for Jesus to call him, he just volunteers. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus' reply is a bit of a dampener. He, he says that even the simplest and most basic creatures have homes and, and, and a little bit of security, dens and nests. But Jesus does not. Notice he refers to himself as the Son of Man. A few times in this series, we've noted that the Son of Man can act as a theologically loaded title referring to Daniel chapter 7 and the God-authorized and endorsed ruler over all nations who is presented before the Ancient of Days with great honor. 
So the Son of Man can be a title of highest honour in this prophetic sense. But on the other hand, it could also be a reference to simple humanity in all humility. In a folksy kind of way, it could be a way of talking about little old me. The Son of Man is a mere human, plain and simple. Jesus' clever use of the moniker, the Son of Man, is ambiguous. Context is everything. And in this case, when Jesus says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, he means that joining ourselves to him means abandoning worldly security. If Jesus the teacher has no home and no bed, neither will his followers. That's exactly what it would have meant for that man on that day. Life on the road with no homely comforts. What about us today? Well, it may not mean exactly the same from a practical point of view. It's possible to be a disciple of Jesus today and own your own home and even your own bed. But that's not to say that there is no sacrifice involved in following Jesus. Security in this life is not guaranteed for disciples. Instead, there is great cost. Following Jesus may not be comfortable for us. We may find that being a Christian takes us well out of our comfort zone. Is this something that we've taken into account on our Christian journey? Following Jesus means walking away from the kinds of security and comforts that other people have, financially, socially, professionally, and in all areas of life. We are no longer at home here. Instead, we are exiles and travelers following Jesus home. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head here. The second could-be disciple uh, Jesus meets is not so front foot as the first guy. Instead, Jesus calls to him, follow me. This man's answer seems to be, yes, but first let me sort out a couple of urgent things at home. He actually says that he wants to first go home and bury his father, before joining Jesus for a life of discipleship on the road. Taking care of our dad's funeral is a pretty important responsibility. A son has family obligations, particularly if he's the oldest son or the only son. In this case, we know nothing of this man's situation, not even how recently his father died and when the funeral is supposed to happen. So Jesus' insistence that the importance of proclaiming the kingdom of God is greater than taking care of a father's funeral elevates the urgency of the task greatly. There's no time to waste. Now, in a move that ultimately diminishes the urgency of kingdom proclamation and allows us to read Jesus a little more compassionately, some commentators say that the expression let me first go and bury my father, does not necessarily mean that the father is even dead yet or even close to death. In other words, this could-be disciple is really making a pretty lame excuse. My dad's getting on a little bit. I need to look after him and look after my family commitments for now. But look, when that's all done and the kids have finished school and I've paid down my mortgage, then I'll join you on your mission as a disciple. Regardless of this man's situation, 
Jesus insists that active discipleship is a higher priority than family obligations. And the question for us today is whether the urgency of Jesus' call to this man was specific to that time and situation as Jesus was now marching towards Jerusalem. It was an urgent call because Jesus' time on this earth was short. His kingdom message really needed to be multiplied. But what about us now? Do family obligations still need to be sacrificed to the urgency of proclaiming the gospel message? Are you waiting for me to give you a definite answer on that question? Because I'm not going to let you off the hook. Instead, each one of us should feel the weight of this text. Jesus insists that this man prioritise kingdom work over his family. You might like to reflect on your answer to Jesus' call in relation to your family obligations a little later. Are the two actually mutually exclusive? How might your family benefit from your active discipleship of the Lord Jesus? Is it actually an either-or situation? The third man in this group faces a similar challenge to the second What priority will he give to following Jesus? He simply wants to first go back and say goodbye to his family. Perhaps tell his mum he won't be home for dinner. Jesus' reply to him is similarly urgent. Jesus' expression, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God requires a little bit of ploughing and farming experience for us to really grasp it. Apparently, so I'm told, When steering a plough along behind one's bullocks, the important thing is to keep your furrows straight and parallel. If you're wandering all over the place, you're doing a bad job as a farmer. So if you keep looking over your shoulder or losing focus on your task as you look here and there, your furrows won't be straight. Your workmanship will be shoddy. And this kind of workmanship is not welcome in the kingdom of God. Starting to plough and then looking backwards over your shoulder is not going to work. Jesus is not looking for this kind of hesitant disciple. He calls for commitment. As we consider these three encounters, we notice one more thing. Luke never tells us what each of the men actually decided to do. Did they really become Jesus' disciples and follow him? We don't know. Their response is not relevant because Luke records these three interactions for his reader's benefit. Through Luke's gospel narrative, God calls us to become disciples of Jesus in our place and time. And this is an urgent and compelling priority and it's a decision that will mean sacrifice for us. We abandon the usual comforts and securities that this world offers to some. And instead, we make following Jesus our priority. Jesus came to you right now and said, Leave whatever you're doing today and follow me. What would you say?